everybody, welcome to the Poetry Space. Uh, we're going to be talking about gratitude today, and I'm going to be starting by saying that I am grateful for my AirPods that I cannot find right now, but I'm sure I will feel very happy <laughs> when I find them again, so hopefully the audio will be okay for everybody. And it looks like I'm getting a wave, so I'm going to take that as though that means from odd writings that, in fact, I don't sound absolutely crazy. So <laughs> I hope you guys are doing well. I'm sorry for the lack of noise canceling. We might have a more active space than normal today. And let's see, it's also not letting Tim be a co-host. So am I there? Oh, here I am. Hey, yeah, I am a co-host. It just takes a long time to load. But thanks so much for adding me. I love the upgrade. It, it feels really good, like going to first class or something. Not that the back row is coach or anything like that, but still. I'm still grateful for, uh, for being here. <laughs> How many times are we going to say that word today? I'm a little like, I apologize in advance to everybody for overusing the word grateful today. It's just like an inevitable component of the space. But then the good news is after the space, we overuse it, and then it feels nice for like the entirety of the day. Well, we should just overuse it forever, I think. It's a good word. But, uh, but let's start out with the uh, warm-up poem, the opening poem. And I'm going to read The Lanyard by Billy Collins, which is a poem. The truth is, I know you're a huge fan of Billy Collins. I like uh, Picnic Lightning, but I haven't really read a whole bunch of him. It's not, he's not a poet that I read a whole bunch of. And so I didn't know this poem, actually, The Lanyard. But everyone tells me it's a hit everywhere. And uh, so here it is. I like this a lot. The Lanyard. The other day I was ricocheting slowly off the blue walls of this room, moving as if underwater from typewriter to piano, from bookshelf to an envelope lying on the floor, when I found myself in the L section of the dictionary, where my eyes fell upon the word lanyard. No cookie nibbled by a French novelist could send one into the past more suddenly, a past where I sat at a workbench at a camp by a deep Adirondack lake, learning how to braid long, thin plastic strips into a lanyard, a gift for my mother. I had never seen anyone use a lanyard or wear one, if that's what you did with them. <clears throat> but that did not keep me from crossing strand over strand again and again until I had made a boxy red and white lanyard for my mother. She gave me life and milk from her breasts, and I gave her a lanyard. She nursed me in many a sick room, lifted spoons of medicine to my lips, laid cold face cloths on my forehead, and then led me out into the airy light and taught me to walk and swim, and I, in turn, presented her with a lanyard. Here are thousands of meals, she said, and here is clothing and a good education, and here is your lanyard, I replied, which I made with a little help from a counselor. Here is a breathing body and a beating heart, strong legs, bones, and teeth, and two clear eyes to read the world, she whispered. And here, I said, is a lanyard I made at camp. And here, I wish to say to her now, it's a smaller gift, not the worn truth that you can never repay your mother, but the rueful admission that when she took the two-tone lanyard from my hand, I was as sure as a boy could be that this useless, worthless thing I wove out of boredom would be enough to make us even. The, the Lanyard by Billy Collins once again. Uh, I love that poem so much. And that poem has a uh, specific resonance for me for two reasons. One is it was like the it cool Billy Collins like new book when I was in college. So I read that because it's in The Trouble with Poetry, which is one of my favorite poems of all time, the title poem. And then also because, Timothy Green, you made me a lanyard very recently. So <laughs> it was good too. Well, I don't know if made, made is the right word. We bought one at Target, I think. And then... Uh, and then I put a little slip in it. But yeah, it was true. You were the uh, official photographer of the Wrightwood Arts and Wine Festival, which uh, got you your own little lanyard there, which I did slide a thing in the slip for. So yes, you and go. you printed my name in a rainbow font. So give yourself credit where credit is due. Come on. I did. There is the rainbow font. That was about as much as Billy Collins. <laughs> it's actually funny, too, because it makes me just think, too. So I was reading a lot about gratitude for this space. And First of all, people sent in amazing poems to the point where I was just like in awe and got to read this amazing poetry this morning. So I'm really grateful for everybody that shared a poem. And some of you are here, so we'll be able to talk to you directly. But with the lanyard, too, it's like made me think about how I also have gratitude for objects. So I take sentimental objects like so that lanyard is hanging in my closet, even though probably nobody needs to know that I have that credential anymore. <laughs> Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Gratitude is such an important thing. So so why do we want to do this show on gratitude? Do you want to, do you want to kick it off talking about it, Katie? Well, I wanted to do it because I really think gratitude is the key 
to happiness in life. So to me, I would define gratitude as being activated happiness. So it's taking that happiness and making it actionable in some sense. And that doesn't mean that it's necessarily showing gratitude. So it's not, you know, thanking somebody or something like that, but just taking a moment to really internalize uh, that feeling that you get, which is to me, happiness and, and joy, which happiness is expressed joy, I guess, in a sense. So gratitude is activating that and combined with a sense of awe and amazement at whatever you are feeling gratitude for, which I think incidentally is a quality that poets have probably in more abundance than the average person of the population. Yeah, it was true. This came up when we were talking about the haiku poets and how, how positive and joyful haiku poets seem to be compared to, to poets in general. And then talking too about how NFT poets seem to have a similar thing going on where there's just a sort of a joy at the act of doing what they're doing. And it, it got us thinking about gratitude and how, you know, certain poets express gratitude more than others. And those are the ones that we're, we gravitate toward and the general public gravitates toward too. Um, I think there's a real um, a deficiency in gratitude in our culture these days. And so having poets that fill that void and help us notice things about the world and the, the positive things around us are something that people are really drawn to. Yeah, I totally agree. And I was thinking more about like actionably what that looks like when I was reading obsessively about gratitude this morning. And one thing I was thinking about, so I saw a quote probably just on Wikipedia that said studies have found that spirituality can enhance a person's ability to be grateful. So organized religion is on the decline. And I think that that makes poetry even more important because it's such a wonderful avenue for gratitude and a, a way to both explore that and then experience it ourselves, And that also leads me to the, <laughs> the hypothesis I want to put forth that maybe not everyone agrees with, but I think that writing in itself is almost always, I want to say always, but I'm always afraid of saying always, an act of gratitude in and of itself. Um, more so that's obvious with poetry, where I think that Every poem that rings authentic and true is an act of gratitude, whether that's gratitude for our own ability to feel that emotions, uh, the gratitude for whatever we're trying to ponder or work through, or in a more obvious sense, you know, gratitude for the things we're observing around us. So what do you think, Tim? Is every poem ever <laughs> written actually about gratitude? <laughs> yeah, I have to uh, completely disagree with that one, I think. I think, it's a, I think it might be a nice frame to think about poetry through and maybe have a good experience with writing poems if you think of them that way. But I think it's, it's more of like a genre or a style or a, or a type of topic. I think the majority of poems, um, at least in the contemporary poets are writing, and you know, I know having read 5 million or whatever of them, are poems of, um, you know, sort of poems of complaint, poems of making sense of some kind of unsettled feeling, poems of trying to, to, to connect the dots of something that's not connecting. So it's kind of a problem solving type poem. And there's so much negativity in poems that, um, the, you know, that's the number one thing that people ask for more of, every, you know, every time they read an issue of Rattle or the, the, through the daily poems, if we have one that's positive, they say, oh, this is great, more of this, but they they just don't come in in the submissions. And so I think, um, I don't know, I, th I think it's a type of poem. And I think there's definitely positive things that come out of a poem and saving the moment even if it's a negative moment. But I don't think that's the primary function of most poems that as they're written. And I would argue that it should be the function of poems more often. That would be my, my position on this. Stuff. Okay. Well, would you agree that every image is a gratitude for the realness of that image? Like, i.e., you know, everything that's talking about the moon and, you know, creating an image with the moon is, is expressing gratitude for the moon. Therefore, like every image is a form of gratitude, even when, you know, the the thing being expressed is negative, perhaps? Hmm. Well, it's a sneaky way in. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you could talk about it that way. I think more often, you know, trying to describe something really well, that's one of the goals. That's one of the, the sort of attending to the world. It's one of the functions of poets. It's a real key. But so many poems, I mean, imagine, I mean, you know, I've, I've read so many poems about, you know, just such horrible things that people are coming to terms with. And to even think that the image of like, your rapist is like something kind of gratitude is a real stretch to me, even if um, even if you're conjuring an image of, of like the terrible thing that happened to you. So I don't know. I think it's a, it's a real a real stretch to call every poem. Active well, gratitude. you've been doing yoga lately, so I guess you're better at stretching. So that's good to hear. <laughs> it's good. 
<laughs> I guess so. But I do think that that we need more poems of gratitude. I really wish it was like 50-50, you know? And the truth is it's like 20-80 or even like 10-90. I mean, most poems are not poems that go in that way. And, you know, there's so much negativity in the world. We have a real negativity bias, which is something that we've evolved to have because if you're like running through the woods and you see a flash of color, the, the people who thought that it was a tiger are the ones who survived and the people who thought it was a beautiful flower that just was a nice <laughs> inspiring image were the ones that got eaten. And so we have that negativity bias. And then we have the world around us where we can have access to so much. And so we keep being negative. And then we have the social media, which, um, you know, has such a, you know, a, a focus there is our attention on negative things because of the negativity bias, because of the news media, the stories that come up, the things that we talk about at the national water cooler. And, um, and it's really interesting because, because gratitude creates the same, you know, release of dopamine and serotonin that we're addicted to when we get addicted to online outrage. And yet uh, the gratitude aspect decreases your anxiety, which has so many good health effects in the long run, because you're not, you don't, you're not full of that adrenaline and that cortisol, which, which wear the body down and have so many ill health effects. And so you can really think of it as, as something, you know, having gratitude, focusing on poems of gratitude is something that's really going to improve your health. And I was thinking about this as we were talking about the topic if, if I had the uh, kind of endowment that the Poetry Foundation has, I would love to fund a whole bunch of studies about the health effects of, of poetry. And, um, and I think that's something that you'd see a really strong effect. The, the poets that, that, um, that write in a kind of joy and, and that, kind of, that kind of expression, poets like Mary Oliver, who we'll talk about, poets like Billy Collins, who notice and, and are amused by life in their poems, I bet they live longer on average. I bet they're healthier on average. And I think, uh, I think we could do a study like that and prove it. Yeah. I think, I mean, there are so many studies about linking, you know, directly gratitude to having better health overall, but specifically poetry as an avenue into that. And I think as a solution for, uh, what is something so positive, so many people got out of organized religion that people are not able to access as much anymore as it frankly, is falling out of favor, which I did Google to make sure I was right before saying that. <laughs> I'm just saying that um, based on my own whims, but it is a way into that. And what I love too about gratitude is how self-spiraling it is. When you take that moment, like, you know, it's Thanksgiving, everybody sits around the table, cries, you're Canadian, you can come to my table. So <laughs> don't worry. Um, everybody sits around the table. And like the big thing is like, let's say one thing we're grateful for. I mean, I hate the fact that that's the one time a year it's done. I mean, I am guilty about that. But it spirals. Like if you take a moment to write in the morning where you are writing, you know, with gratitude, your whole day will look better, which is maybe, you know, Billy Collins, I know famously really likes to wake up and write first thing in the morning. And maybe that's part of it too. So we have a couple hands up. I feel like we should. Well, let me just, just chime in one more thing, Kate, because I just want to say we kind of glossed over it quickly, but the haiku poets, that's what they do. And I think you can see as you, you walk into a space where haiku poets are, um, because they go out and look for haiku, which is attending to the world and finding something interesting there, um, you know, everywhere they go, they go on haiku walks and they look for something to notice. And then doing that, there's so much positivity. And then the way that the brain works, you know, the, the, that dopaminergic reward system, you know, fire together, wire together, those channels of gratitude, the more you use it, the more they're open, the more easily they fire, the thicker and richer they become. And so it's easier to feel gratitude, the more gratitude you feel. So it's a, it's a conditioned feedback loop that we should all be kind of activating, if possible. And I think the haiku poets especially, it just stands out so much that they have a lot of joy in life. And I don't think it's just a self-selection bias. I think that the act of, of looking at haiku and trying to write and looking at the world every day like they do makes them happier people and makes them healthier. I really think that's I, true. I think it's true too. And I think that's a big part of why I'm personally so drawn to haiku. It is like when I go and sometimes I'll just say, okay, I want to write haiku because what I feel when I feel that moment is I want something really intense that I'm looking at, you know, with a total microscope that I can see so clearly because I'm looking so clearly at a tiny thing to connect it to something else. So I feel that. And I would go too further from the spiral that you were talking about, Tim, where it's like an inward spiral. The beautiful thing about poetry too, is that you can create that spiral and you can, you can 
turn it into ripples for other people. Because when you put your poem out there that's expressing gratitude, you look at your whole day differently because you read a Mary Oliver poem that morning. Um, and so it's the ability poetry allows it to spread. And then that, you know, of course, spreads in turn too, where somebody who reads that poem maybe does something nice for somebody else because they're in a better frame of mind than they would have done. And so it really is, you know, world changing in that way, I think. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think so. And that's one of the things I worry about, you know, given how much negativity bias poetry generally has, I think it's more than just human negativity bias. I think that poetry works so well as a, a way to heal through trauma and move through like psychic damage. And, and I think that's a real functional use for poetry. But I think that contemporary poets tend to sort of cling to that use. And so you get the majority of poems about some you know traumatic, difficult, dark things. There's a bleakness to contemporary poetry in a lot of cases that makes someone like Mary Oliver or Billy Collins stand out. And um, and, I, and I worry about that as an editor of sending in those kind of poems into people's heads to start their day with a daily poem too, even though I think those poems are still so valuable at the same time. So it's a, it's a thing that I struggle with a little bit too as an editor. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, luckily for me, I can just tweet out my poem and I don't have these meta concerns to think about as an editor that, I mean, must be challenging, seriously, because, you know, you are impacting, you know, so many people get the rattle emails every morning, you know, and they're, they're reading these poems. And so I definitely like, I also struggle with, I will feel if I write a sad poem, like I almost feel a little bit of guilt about it sometimes too. But, um, you know, that's something for me to personally get over. And you're right, there is other other values for it than just as gratitude. So let's go ahead and go to George Pastana, who has had his hand up for a while now. So sorry, George, but I'd love to hear from you. Hey, Katie. Uh, as, to, uh, as to your idea that maybe every poem includes gratitude within it, I think that depends uh, on the definition of gratitude. And I know that sounds like kind of a cop-out because you can say that about anything. Well, if you redefine a word, you know, then you can make anything out of it. But words in general, of course, they evolve over time. And my my, uh, my example for this is the word worship. Like, for example, in, in, in many religions, uh, there's an idea that if you worship something, it's a conscious thing. But then there's this other idea where anything you do is a way of worshiping your God. And so it, it, it then it becomes irrelevant as to whether you're conscious of doing it or not. So when I think of your idea of having every poem contain gratitude within it, I would think that depends on whether, whether the person writing the poem is conscious of that gratitude or not, and whether it's possible to, to write a poem and not realize until later that, that it includes gratitude kind of within it. So it's a Interesting, interesting thing. To think yeah, that's about. super interesting. I love that. And that that makes me think, too, of something that I was thinking about this morning, which is just that in Ars Poetica, what is an Ars Poetica, but really a poem that is showing gratitude for poetry? You know, that's what it is, a poem about gratitude, but for poetry, at least in my estimation, maybe not Tim's. <laughs> No, definitely. And I think uh, if you if you move in that direction and try to think about through that frame, I think it works. Even the most traumatic poems that are successful are really healing. And so you can have gratitude for the fact that they do that. And then, you know, and then there's that sense that someone else reading it gets the same some of the same healing effect, too. And so there, there's there's gratitude tied into that, I guess I could say. But I, I just don't think it's the, the primary drive for uh, for all poems. Well, I could stretch it to say, too, that writing is a, writing is a form of gratitude for language, but I feel like I'm just determined to make this argument at all costs. I'm like the bad lawyer at the accident injury case making bold, audacious claims at this point. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, I'm ready to settle, Katie. Let's just settle on a quick. No deal. No. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead to Dick Westheimer's had his hand up and I'm sure has some interesting thoughts about this as well. Uh, hey, all, I, I really appreciate, I am grateful, very grateful for this discussion. And that brings me to my first point, which is for me, gratitude is a practice, a conscious practice. And it goes to very small things like responding to a customer service person who did one thing right out of five, right? Or, or just making sure that folks who are... Um, around me know when I am grateful. Uh, obviously, without 
obviously without being cloying is is a uh, is is a key there. But for me, gratitude is a conscious practice. It is not incidental to something else I do. Um, and as you said, Katie, it really is. Uh, it's a I don't do it as a dopamine hit, but it just feels right. And the more I do it every day, um, and it isn't it. It is like expressing gratitude to a for me to a person. I'm not I'm not a um, an atheist, so I don't express gratitude to uh, you know I'm, I'm not a Psalms person, as it were. Uh, and one thing I'm grateful for are the trauma poems, the ones that Tim was talking about. Those are such a gift um, to, you know, you've talked, Tim, about the empathy engine. And when I read those and my world expands to, like, just understand one more thing about the world and, and, and you know, feel, um, feel one more person's sort of experience of it in a way that they've chosen to express it. I'm just so grateful that, that those are are out there. So I, I might contend with your thesis, Tim, that the trauma poems are traumatic. Um, I think for me as a reader, they, they help me, um, I think, be a better person. Um, and um, the other thing is is that there is contained in here uh, subsets of poems, like love poems, which I don't mean cloying love poems again, but love poems that that somehow get at at the nature of one's appreciation for another person in her his life, even if they explore dark parts of it. Um, there's always this sense even a really difficult love poems that there is there is gratitude and that might be the closest my poems come to expressing gratitude unless you go to your point Katie of like when I write about a red-winged blackbird uh, pecking at a at a um, uh, the back of a buzzard that you know is that gratitude well I'm, I'm grateful that I noticed it but I don't know if that is a gratitude practice so much as a as an observation practice. Well, that's interesting too, because something I was thinking about is also gratitude is a personality trait, you know, and I think uh, poets inherently kind of have that. So for me, it's very possible in a poem, if I'm like obsessing about a cardinal, like I am really like for a brief moment, <laughs> worshiping this cardinal, like, oh my God, this thing exists. I just can't believe it. And so for me, it does feel like spiritual and reverent in a sense then. And then also I wanted to reply too about the idea of, you know, trauma poems. I guess for me too, with that, there's an inherent gratitude that comes that's kind of off the page. Because when you are reading a poem about a traumatic incident that somebody went through, they are there and they wrote that poem and they are therefore working through that trauma and overcoming it. And so it's gratitude for humans ability to overcome things is how I'm, I'm hopefully left after feeling, you know, those poems too. So that was uh, that was really interesting, Dick. And do you want to, um, you tweeted some poems to me by Jane Kenyon. Do you want to read one of those poems? I think we are not hearing from Dick Westheimer. I'm really oh, sorry. sorry. Um, uh, if if gratitude is a personality trait, then I can claim my judgmentalism as a personality trait and not work on it. But <laughs> I think both are both are you know one's a positive practice you know where you actually have to observe yourself doing it, and it might be personality trait that gets you going. But it, it has to be conscious. It's like writing. You just have to do it. And uh, But I am judgmental, too, which means if there's a trauma poem that is merely self-indulgent, I am not grateful for it. I am grateful for a poet who has discovered something in the writing of a poem, not just the healing and observing. So, sure, I'll read one of the Jane Kenyon poems. Did you have one that you liked more than the other? Uh, I'm good with either. They're both really good. They both fit the prompt. They're about the same length. So whatever, <laughs> whichever one you want to go with. Okay, here we go. Let evening come by Jane Kenyon. Let 
The light of late afternoon shine through the chinks in the barn, moving up the bales as the sun moves down. Let the crickets take up chafing as a woman takes up her needles and her yarn. Let evening come. Let dew collect on the hoe abandoned in the long grass. Let the stars appear and the moon disclose her silver horn. Let the fox go back to its sandy den. Let the wind die down. Let the shed go back inside, go black inside. Let evening come. To the bottle in the ditch, to the scoop and the oats, to the air and the lung, let evening come. Let it come as it will, and don't be afraid. God does not leave us comfortless, so let evening come. And one of the things I love about this poem is that there's some really, there's junk in this poem. Like there's the bottle in the ditch, and there's the, uh, I forget where the, uh, the abandoned hose. So she's just grateful for the existence of things. And this goes to your point, Katie. She's exists. She's grateful that she's seeing these things. Yeah, that's definitely very well said. And I think uh, her poems encapsulate that well with, with a quietness and also touch on, you know, like you're saying with these uh, quote unquote ugly things and, and finding, you know, the beauty and what there is to appreciate in it. That I think is interesting just as for how we process gratitude itself anyway. You know, I think it's easier to be grateful for things when you've had hardships in your life. And, you know, that's something that is, you know, maybe not discussed enough. I mean, Mary Oliver, you know, talked about how not she didn't talk about it much at all, but mentioned in an interview, I believe, you know, that she was sexually abused as a teenager. And, you know, then she comes out and, and writes these absolutely gorgeous poems that, you know, make her perhaps the best read poet, you know, in America, at least, you know, of, of, of this century. And I think that, yeah, Tim, I think you're saying, I think we should get into Mary Oliver poems now. We've been like skirting around her and I think it's time, don't you, to, uh, to read probably Wild Geese. Yeah, sure. I was just going to say, too, though, that, uh, you know, Jane Kenyon's poems are just so much more powerful to me, knowing that that she was going through cancer then and dying as she was having gratitude for those things. And it's something really interesting to think about the way that, you know, we all face death. That's the something that's going to happen. Our lives are finite. And yet, um, you know, you can decide how to how to respond to that. You can either just respond to that with gratitude for the time you have or you can respond in, in anger that, that it's limited. And so I think those poems are all the more powerful for the, the difficult times that she was going through. And, and like you said, uh, that Mary Oliver was going through too. Uh, so yeah, I'll go ahead and read uh, Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through, through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. Yeah, so that is a, just a beautiful poem by Mary Oliver, of course. One of the most popular poems um, in the last hundred years, I would say, in English. And, um, you know, one of those things, too, that, you know, th there's somebody, who was it? Uh, was it Attractive Fahey who was talking about um, using that poem in therapy, Katie? Yeah, on Facebook, she left a really beautiful comment under your post where actually, hope it's okay, but I put it in the notes for the space because I wanted to read it because I thought it was it was so interesting. So this is Attractive Fahey and she's talking about, you know, she uses it in therapy with her clients. So she says, 
While clients can identify with poems, they don't always feel able to hear the pain of another unless identifying includes a message of hope and how the poem touches the depths of what it is to be human, lifts their hearts to something greater than what we invest in, and more so what brings meaning to our suffering and mortality. Wild geese insist you don't have to be good. I think it's the affirmation in hearing that you don't have to crawl is what reassures clients. Mary Oliver then guides us on how to heal. The world goes on. And this she shows us through imagery, how nature goes on quietly. The sun, rain, prairies, and wild geese all doing what they do. Clients are lifted into her very important suggestion with meanwhile, such a gentle and matter-of-fact word, but saying it's as simple as nature. And she ends with offering reassurance. So there is such beauty in that poem. And I think that there's, it's, it's obvious the reason why I think it's fair to say that when we asked for poems on this, Tim, you got like the most response on that one specific poem. I think it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really interesting too, thinking about it in that, in that respect, because it's almost like behavioral cognitive therapy is built into that poem. You know, it's an argument against catastrophizing. Uh, it's an argument against black and white thinking. It's an argument against um, that kind of self-focus, you know, where like, this is the worst thing that's happened to me. And, you know, because it's, uh, tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. There's that idea that we're all in this together, um, which is another aspect of, of um, you know, behavioral cognitive therapy. And so that, that it's no surprise that poem works. It's kind of built as an argument for that in poet form through image and through metaphor. That's a really good point. And then what it does also, too, is for anyone that loves and remembers that poem, whenever they see wild geese flying overhead, they'll see it. And it's like this constant reassurance that, you know, outlives Mary Oliver and creates, you know, something that goes on and on, which is incredibly powerful. And I would be thrilled to one day accomplish anything half as cool as that with a poem I wrote. Yeah. And it's great to to remember that poems are mantras. You know, there's things you can recite. And a, a mantra comes from the Sanskrit mantra, which is mind tool. It's a tool for the mind to transform your emotional state. And so the poem, uh, you know, that works that well, you can go back to anytime you need a poem and need help is just so valuable, which is why Mary Oliver is, is such a beloved poet, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I know that Joe Barca, who's up on the stage as a speaker, is a big Mary Oliver fan. And uh, he, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Joe, first. And then I was hoping you would read another Mary Oliver poem because I think she needs to be very represented in this space. Absolutely. And um, I did stumble upon, I'm not going to read it now, but it, if, you, if, you, if we don't read it, you should read it later, one by Joy Harjo too, but I'll save that. But anyway, yes, I love Mary Oliver and um, I'm going to read a poem called Messenger. But before I do, I think, the word that comes to mind for me when I think of gratitude is appreciation closely linked to attention. And I think it's sort of like a continuum of, of something that poets do, which is you have to really pay attention to and appreciate the details. And I think going back to what Dick said, it's sort of a practice of how you live your life so that you can translate that into poetry. So those are my thoughts, Katie. You want me to read Messenger? Yeah, first I'll just say that that's wonderful. And I have to say, you're one of the most naturally grateful people that I know. And your energy is always so uplifting and positive. And you're like one of the first people I want to share good news with when I have good news. But I also know when I have bad news, you'll be right there for me. And I think that you do an excellent job expressing your gratitude in your poetry and just in in life. Thank you, Katie. I really appreciate that. So I'm going to read Messenger by Mary Oliver. My work is loving the world. Here the sunflowers, there the hummingbird, equal seekers of sweetness. Here the quickening yeast, there the blue plums. Here the clam deep in the speckled sand. Are my boots old? Is my coat worn, torn? Am I no longer young and still half perfect? Let me keep my mind on what matters, which is my work which is mostly standing still and learning to be astonished. The Phoebe, the Delphinium, the sheep in the pasture and the pasture, which is mostly rejoicing since all the ingredients are here, which is gratitude to be given a mind and a heart and these body clothes, a mouth with which to give shouts of joy to the moth and the wren to the sleepy dug-up clam, tug them all over and over how it is that we live forever. That's it. 
I just love that poem so much. I'm like welling up over here. I see. I I even prefer that honestly to Wild Geese. Am I the only one that prefers that? I do prefer it. No, I, well, I didn't know this one, and I was mesmerized. So I was like, I wanted to read one that wasn't quite as well known. You know. Well, this is. Very- I just want to say, do you think? Uh- you know, having read, I think you've read more Mary Oliver than me. I've read a few of her books and her new and selected. But you say that that all of her poems are poems of gratitude. I think from what I can think of and know uh, of her work, it seems like you could kind of characterize that way. Do you think so, Katie or, or Joe? Well, one quick thought, and I'm going to agree with Tim on this one, Katie. You're going you're gonna to want to do battle with me. But to say all poems or all Mary Oliver's poems are poems of gratitude, I think is a stretch. I think for me... Mary Oliver pays attention. She appreciates, but and it translates into her work. But saying that all poems are poems of gratitude feels like a bit of a stretch to me. But Katie, come at me. Go ahead. Jay, you're supposed to be on my team. I gave I you know, that I know. Where's the gratitude for that? Come on, man. Ah, team Tim for one day. Team you're Tim for one day. Here. I don't know. Maybe it is like that I'm stretching, but I just don't care because I just feel it in every poem. <laughs> Maybe I just feel too much gratitude, and that's my problem. You're too I, damn happy, Katie. You're too damn good. <laughs> right? Come on. I just, I really do feel it all the time. But it is, I mean, I guess everything just makes me feel grateful for being alive when I read a poem, even when it's something sad and the ability to, to look at it with that. But I, I do think that Mary Oliver is uh, as successful as her poems have been because of primarily her use of images and then the gratitude that she uses to express them so well. And I think that, you know, if somehow, for those of you thinking gratitude is not everywhere, which is everybody being crazy, because it's obviously all around us, um, <laughs> if you thinking that, if you could somehow distill the gratitude from her poem, she would not, you know, be the hugely successful poet that she became, for sure. With one quick thought, Kate, then I'll let you go on. But I would say you bring the attitude of gratitude. And that's what I think we all strive to do as we read poetry or just live our lives, you know? Well, that's super sweet. I don't know if my mom is still in the audience, but I definitely have her to thank for that. She definitely is uh, great at at practicing that, both through my mom likes to write, and then she's also a spiritual person um, in a more traditional sense where I am um, kind of putting that more into poetry. But she taught me gratitude and how even, you know, the simple, more obvious acts of, say, like, writing a thank you card and really feeling thankful, not this fake, you know, I hate to to bash us Americans, but the fake American type happiness and gratitude, but the actual, like taking the time to write someone and say, thank you for doing this. And, um, you know, it almost feels like a selfish act at a point because I get so much out of thanking people for things. I really do. Um, just stilling down your life enough to, to be thankful for the things that we have so many to be thankful for, even, even in hard times, you know, we do. So thanks for saying that, Joe. So where do you want to go next, Katie? I think uh, we covered Mary Oliver. I think the uh, the poem that, that came to mind first for me, and Brian O'Sullivan brought it up too, and a lot of people you know, mentioned this when we were talking about poems uh, of gratitude, is Those Winter Sundays, which is almost a, a father correspondent to uh, the opening poem, The Lanyard, there by Billy Collins. Uh, this is Robert Hayden. Uh, should I read that? Anytime you're going to ask me if you should read a poem, the answer for the rest of my life is yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, sure then. So this is Those Winter Sundays by Robert Hayden. Sundays, too, my father got up early and put his clothes on in the blue-black cold. Then, with cracked hands that ached from labor and the weekday weather made banked fires ablaze, no one ever thanked him. I'd wake and hear the cold splintering, breaking, When the rooms were warm, he'd call, and slowly I would rise and dress, fearing the chronic angers of that house, speaking indifferently to him who had driven out the cold and polished my good shoes as well. What did I know? What did I know of love's austere and lonely offices? It's one of the most famous poems of gratitude, I'd say. And, um, you know, that last that last couplet. And then, and then just the image of, and, and I think we all can relate to that of, of not recognizing at the time, the things that we should be thankful for and wanting sort of a reprieve and finding gratitude later on in life when we recognize and notice them. 
Yeah, and what's so fascinating too is that the poem actually offer, offers that reprieve and allows, you know, as close as you can get to going back in time to that moment and expressing it, it actually allows you, you know, to access that in a way that other writing even could not, I would say. So that's what's amazing about it. It's also uh, very similar, I think, to the Lee Young Lee poem that I was going to close out the space with later, but I could go ahead and read actually. What do you think? Well, it's up to you. Uh, there's so many great poems. I think we should read a lot of them. Why don't you go ahead? Okay. So this is called The Gift. And I would like to say also, there's so many poems, you know, with gift in the title with this. I have a poem with gift in the title too. And it is, uh, you know, in, with gratitude. <laughs> it seems to be a go-to title for a lot of these poems, which I'm good with because I like gifts. So this is The Gift by Lee Young Lee. To pull the metal splinter from my palm, my father recited a story in a low voice. I watched his lovely face and not the blade. Before the story ended, he'd removed the iron sliver I thought I'd die from. I can't remember the tale, but hear his voice still, a well of dark water, a prayer. And I recall his hands, two measures of tenderness he laid against my face, the flames of discipline he raised above my head, had you entered that afternoon, you would have thought you saw a man planting something in a boy's palm, a silver tear, a tiny flame. Had you followed that boy, you would have arrived here where I bend over my wife's right hand. Look how I shave her thumbnail down so carefully she feels no pain. Watch as I lift the splinter out. I was seven when my father took my hand like this, and I did not hold that shard between my fingers and think, metal that will bury me, christen it little assassin, or going deep for my heart. And I did not lift up my wound and cry, death visited here. I did what a child does when he's given something to keep. I kissed my father. I just love that poem so much. And it, to me, it almost reads like an after, you know, reading the two poems right, right by each other. I mean, they are so strikingly similar. Yeah, that's a great one. I always love Lee, Lee Young Lee. Um, yeah, yeah. But one thing, I don't know if you want to go in this direction, Katie, but I was thinking about, um, you know, since you said that the gratitude is a personality trait, um, I was kind of thinking of that and looking at uh, the actual big five personality traits and how gratitude plays into that. And, and you know, it, it really, it's, it's a sign of low neuroticism because, you know, neuroticism is negative emotion and, um, and then agreeableness because you're sort of agreeing with the world when you have uh, gratitude too, and then openness. So on the big five traits, it is, it is something that's sort of um, quantifiably put in there and has its own place. And um, especially tied to neuroticism, which makes complete sense because neuroticism is that the sort of intrusive negative thoughts, that, that negativity. And um, so it makes me think, though, that because the big five traits are so concretized at a young age, it's so hard to change them. Um, you know, you can become a little more open, but that's almost about it. I, I wonder if there are people who, who are gratitude deficient and they have no hope of, uh, of gaining gratitude through poems. I wonder if that's an aspect that, you know, that, that might pull these poems down a little bit. Yeah, I think that what I meant too earlier was saying it's a personality trait. I didn't mean just like you were born with the gratitude you've got and you can't change it. Really, I meant the opposite. I think that there is something to like, I believe that naturally I am more rewarded by gratitude than an average person, which I mean, I could certainly be wrong about. I just am looking at that because I get so much out of it. And I feel like if everybody got as much out of it as I do, then, you know, we'd have 8 billion me's walking around or something, which is a good thing we do not. But <laughs> I think yeah. it, so, I know, it seems akin to uh, something I was reading about a few months ago, which is an aesthetic sensibility. And some people can appreciate like a beautiful painting in a way that other people can't and, and have more of a, a reward system in their, in their uh, neuropsychology for it and so they're more drawn to art galleries and things like that and i wonder if people are drawn to gratitude type poems but going back to the study i would love to do if we just had you know 300 million dollar endowment um i'd love to do a thing where people are who are low in gratitude as a trait are given poems that express gratitude to read and then re-examine re and see if they're able to raise a little bit uh raise the bar a little bit maybe we can sort of uh bootstrap some gratitude in the people who are chronically ungrateful 
Yeah, I mean, I think it is definitely a skill that can be improved upon. Like to me, there is no question about that. I mean, I can feel it myself when I'm practicing it more. And let's see, Dick Westheimer, because you referred to gratitude as being a practice more so, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about what you think on this? Well, I, I was um, I was just thinking about a religious practice um, because I mean this this might seem like an oxymoron for folks, though I'm an atheist, I'm sort of a practicing Jew also. And it, it occurs to me that, and I don't know about this in other religious practices, but the, the sort of the central part of every Jewish service is an expression of gratitude. It is mostly uh, in, in terms of gratitude uh, uh, towards, towards God, um, but it is also a practice that is part of the, your obligation um, uh, during Yom Kippur, um, and it's also, um, you know, fundamental to the most important Jewish home practice of the year, which is a Passover Seder, where you express gratitude over and over and over again for thing there's a there's a, a famous um uh recitation it's almost poetic called dainu which says like it would have been enough uh, or it's also translated as i am grateful for this and it's like geared towards children to over and over again express their gratitude for very small things that were quote done for them so i i think uh, you know there's there's a role for religious practice in this and i would be curious to hear from others how the liturgy which in essence is is a, a form of poetry in in many religions um, how it incorporates gratitude into the practice of those of those religions because you know i was thinking what is the thing that is suffused in me that makes gratitude easier and easier? And maybe it's that. Maybe it's growing up with that practice. You know, it's interesting talking about religion. One of the things, uh, as I was a, I was a teenager, I tried to become religious myself because I it felt like something was missing, and so I joined a church and, and attempted at it. And I was talking on the you know the the prayer discussion groups, and I just didn't believe. And I remember, and I always think about this, that the, the deacon or whoever it was said, um, you know, fake it until you make it. And that expression, uh, which I've you know, seen other places since, um, it just seems so interesting to me that it actually works. And so I ended up doing that for a while and faking it until I started believing in a way that it was like giving me kind of goosebumps and feeling weird. And so it kind of freaked me out and I left. But mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, but, but there is that sense of... Um, you know, just forcing yourself to do it until it becomes natural. And I think that's uh, something that we can do too. Yeah, and I think we can I, learn a lot from religion that way. Yeah, I, I think that's important. I, th there's a important distinction between uh, Judaism and other uh, Western religions in that it is not a religion that's primarily one of faith, but a practice. And so it's like, do these things every day, do these things every week. And that is what constitutes, uh, you know, your identity as a religious Jew, which is how I can be somewhat observant and an atheist. And not, I don't believe, I don't believe, but I believe in the rituals. And so maybe that's what you're getting at there. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think so. And I, I love the idea, you know, poetry is a practice. That's what what Rattle's uh, mission statement is. It's to promote the practice of poetry. And then, and then like you said, uh, gratitude's a practice too, and, and incorporating, uh, you know, the ritual of gratitude inside the ritual of, of poetry. I think you're just all better off that way if you can manage to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I quote the mission statement of Rattle in every one of my cover letters. Thank you for promoting the practice of poetry. I, you know, to, I say that to other journals. I hope I don't have to pay you a fee every time I do that. <laughs> No, it's not trademarked, so it's no problem. <laughs> I hope, though, you also do it when you query Tim, because that would amuse me. <laughs> I think you need to do that in there, too. And be like, they'll be like, wait a second, I've heard that line before. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm grateful that Tim does not ask for cover letters. Well, that's a whole level of gratefulness, then. That's good. All right, George, what did you have to say about this? I wanted to say something very similar about the repetition. The, the you know, that it, it goes back, I mean, 
as most of you guys know that it goes back to the Greeks. They, they had a very similar idea where you could learn to be virtuous, right? And Plato was real big on this. He was, he was, oh, you know, you know, you, the more you do it, the more you, you believe it and the more you actually become virtuous. So you could learn to be good or bad, regardless of if you felt good or bad. And that, that brings up an interesting thing when we're talking about religion, because when you compare that and you compare it with what some people consider brainwashing, there's kind of a there's kind of an interesting line there uh, where if I imagine myself, for example, let's say I'm, I'm going to write a poem every day. Uh, and let's say in that poem, I'm going to attempt to uh, feel gratitude and bestow gratitude. Uh, if if some of these if some of these lines of thought are, are accurate then it would seem like I could become uh, more thankful for things the more I write poems which express gratitude. In other words, I could, I could, I could consider that as teaching myself or brainwashing myself, but that has a negative connotation. But there's, there's, an, interesting, uh, there's an interesting connection there about the more we do something, the more it influences us and about how much gratitude may be instilled in us naturally and how much is due to our environment. Yeah, those are really excellent points. I think you inspired Joe Barker to raise his hand and comment on it. <laughs> I was actually going to switch in another direction, but I listened to everything. But I just want to say, um, I'm going to mention Joy Harjo. And I know I was supposed to love all of her poems and I bought her book and all this other stuff. And I had I liked them, but didn't fall in love with her work. And then I stumbled upon this poem, Researching Gratitude, and it's called Perhaps the World Ends Here, and it's an immediate favorite. And I already read one, but I was wondering if you, Katie, or Tim, or someone might like to read it. It's tagged there, Katie. What, do you have time, or are there other people waiting to read? Why don't you go ahead and read it? We'd love to hear. I love you your sure? voice. Okay. I mean, I just, I fell head over heels for this poem, so here goes. Perhaps the World Ends Here by Joy Harjo. The world begins at a kitchen table. No matter what, we must eat to live. The gifts of earth are brought and prepared, set on the table. So it has been since creation, and it will go on. We chase chickens or dogs away from it. Babies teeth at the corners, teeth at the corners. They scrape their knees under it. It is here that children are given instructions on what it means to be human. We make men at it. We make women. At this table, we gossip, recall enemies and the ghosts of lovers. Our dreams drink coffee with us. They put their arms around our children. They laugh with us at our poor falling down selves. And as we put ourselves back together once again at the table. This table has been a house in the rain, an umbrella in the sun. Wars have begun and ended at this table. It's a place to hide in the shadow of terror, a place to celebrate the terrible victory. We have given birth on this table, and we have prepared our parents for burial here. At this table, we sing with joy, with sorrow. We pray of suffering and remorse. We give thanks. Perhaps the world will end at the kitchen table while we are laughing and crying, eating of the last sweet bite. Yeah, that's an excellent poem. I hadn't seen it before. You linked you know, me to it earlier, too. And particularly, I love the our dreams drink coffee with us as they put our arms around our children line. I mean, how can you beat that, right? <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. I mean, you think of a kitchen table and every one you've ever seen, especially one you've had for a long time or you've had a family or children and so much can happen there. She, I just think she did an incredible job writing about it. Yeah, she definitely did. And it makes me just think, you know, I'm I have uh, the family table that we grew up eating Thanksgiving meals at. Uh, my dad gave it to me and it's, you know, it has like scratches that I know where the scratch came from and things like that. And so it just, uh, there's so much to be grateful for with that. And I think too, that, um, one poet that we didn't manage to talk about today that I wanted to make sure I mentioned was, um, because I'm personally grateful to her, who is a poet named Barbara Hamby. And she's, going to be on the Rattlecast next week as it so happens. I'm grateful to her because she was my main professor at FSU when I was studying poetry and, you know, first like seriously studying it. And she was extremely nice to me, always made me feel like what I was doing was valuable, even in an environment where that wasn't always the case. She was definitely like, 
you know, inspired me. She's also in, as it turns out, in the current issue of Rattle, which being, you know, in the open section with the NFT poetry tribute where I have a poem. And so it's, it's really neat to be, you know, published alongside somebody that I consider my mentor. And furthermore, Barbara Hamby is known for writing odes and odes are kind of, you know, praise poem in general. So she's someone too, that got me into writing odes and looking at poetry early in a way that um, I think I might not have done had I not had her so kindly in my formative years. So Tim, I'm going to ask you, having said that, if you will read Barbara Hamby's Ode to Killing Sadness as a way to close out the space. What do you mean, me? You're supposed to do the closing poem. <laughs> you want me to read it? <laughs> okay, I'll read it. I'll read it. It's hilarious. That's like an improv. You're never supposed to say no, but I'll read it. But you have to talk for a sec because I need a sip of my drink, and then I will gladly read it. Okay. I mean, I can read it if you want. I just don't want to break our tradition. Of you oh, you're right. It I don't know why I was putting it on you. You're right. I'm grateful <laughs> okay. for you making me read the poem. <laughs> okay, <honest>. yeah. <laughs> okay. I had a sip of my ice cream tea, and now I'm ready to go to town. So the ode is a little bit longer, as odes tend to be, but that's because there's so much to praise in the world, I think. So this is Barbara Hamby's Ode on Killing Sadness. In the nursing home in Havana, I can't help but think of my mother, who would be 91, as I take each old woman's hand and say, hola, or buenas tardes, and I notice one lady who is sitting off to the side with a look that says, no one is going to say hello to me. So I walk over and take her hand, and she sits up and kisses me on the cheek, a hard peck just like the kamikaze kisses of my mother, and through my tears I hear her say, you're weak like your daddy, and I am weak because I still miss her so much after five years, and I kiss the woman's cheek, and I want to take her home with me, but we don't even speak the same language, which you could have said about me and my own mother. And all these women in Havana have raised better daughters than I was. And I feel like the creatures in Roberto Fabello's drawings, a woman with wings, yes, but with a head of a bird and a couple of nights before we saw the Buena Vista Social Club. And the MC said at the start of the evening, here we are killing sadness. And the music did take the sting out of the night. And I'm thinking of this when we go to the cemetery and see the tomb of Amelia Goyri, who died in childbirth and was buried with her son between her legs, whose husband came every day with flowers. And two years later, when his own father died and the tomb was opened, he begged to have his wife's coffin unsealed so he could see his beloved once again. And when they pulled back the lid, the child was in his mother's arms. A miracle? Who knows, but hundreds of plaques surround the tomb in gratitude for miraculous births, restored eyesight, dissolved cancers, and the man who takes care of the site says he had seen men step out of wheelchairs and women throw away crutches, and on top of the tomb, a marble woman is holding a child, and a living woman with bright red hair shuffles up to the statue, touches the baby's bottom, and backs away from the tomb, praying for her own miracle. And I say a prayer for my mother, whose hard kisses were so sweet, and ask her to let me tell her story as I know it. And when I stand near her grave in December on an island in the Pacific, I will thank her again for the hard kiss she sent, special delivery through the little grandma in the rest home in Havana, Cuba, another island in the middle of a great sea. Yeah, that's a great poem, Katie. I'm glad you read it. Such a good reading of it, too. That breathless style that that long ode has. Looking forward to talking to Barbara about this topic about about gratitude and odes it's something that's really appropriate for that this will be monday night at 8 p.m eastern if anyone's curious it's rattle cast number uh, 199 coming up on 200 so uh yeah definitely looking forward to that and, and excellent reading that poem thanks i do really love that poem and her breathless style like you can't read that poem slow that is not meant to be read slowly there's not a lot of punctuation in there um but the breathless style so fits with the thematic of it and I, I think it's interesting, too, that the poem got into kind of what we were talking about with the idea of, you know, looking back, having regrets of not expressing as much gratitude and this, again, as a way to express gratitude in a way that's woven somewhat, you know, in the style of David Kirby, almost approaching that to almost feeling like a sort of braid between her and Cuba. Maybe that's a weave, not a brave. You need three things to make a braid. I know because I've been trying to do a better job on my daughter's hair. So <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I never realized that. Yeah, yeah, it's a weave. I guess that's perfect. Um, so that's going to wrap up the show, right? We're an hour in. Uh, do you want to tell everybody what we're doing next week, Katie? Yes, we are going to be changing gears and looking at 
regret poems. So like poems that people may regret having been published and, and things like that. And I'm really tempted to spell regrets when I title the space in like that way where that infamous meme of that dude that got the tattoo that spelled regret wrong. But I don't know. <laughs> that might be taking it too far. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, the, the thought of this show came up when we published a poem called Regret Tattoos in Rattle, talking about how everybody has more. I think it says, I think the line is like, everybody who has at least four tattoos has one regret tattoo <laughs> and one that they regret. And um, I think everybody who goes through poetry publishing might have a poem that they regret publishing. And uh, there's been some poems over the years that I've had to you know, remove from Rattle at the author's request because they don't want it out in public anymore. And, um, you know, and there's things that, you know, that we might maybe overshare. And something that we don't talk about much is is poets that, you know, sometimes, you know, there's this push to publish, publish, publish your stuff and get it out. But then sometimes maybe it's best not to. So maybe we'll explore that a little and uh, talk about it next week. So hopefully everybody can help out by publishing a poem that they regret over the next week so they can join us to talk about how they regret doing that on the space next week. That would be very helpful and convenient. Yeah, that's a perfect assignment. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Well, thanks to you guys so much for joining in the space. I really loved hearing from all of you guys. And I have to say, the poems that you tweeted this week were like the absolute best. I've just been in awe of them. And it makes me really glad that I make obsessive notes on the space because I will be going back to look at them over and over again. Cries, I'm just realizing that we didn't get to your poem, so I'm sorry about that. I need to... Uh, <laughs> do better with that I'm grateful for you not getting mad at me because that's a real oversight so I'm sorry about that but everybody uh, have a great week and we'll see you next so week before we go Katie I want to say you know thank you know, talk about gratitude I want to have gratitude for you for making this space and, and having you know a discussion about poetry every week it's so much fun and you know I think of it as like a little sandbox to, to think about poetry in a way that really helps me enjoy it more and it's uh, all your your grateful sort of attitude is part of it too so thanks uh thanks so much for being you and, and doing what you do oh that's so sweet well thanks to you for doing this space with me um it's just so great to get to talk every week about this in poetry because you know you and i are talking about poetry all the damn time anyway so getting to do it with friends that have really interesting perspectives to add to it. I'm, I really am grateful for all of you guys and how much I've learned as a result of your thoughts and comments in this space. So good job, Tim. See, I was going to miss the gratitude. I'm supposed to be the one with more gratitude, but I don't know. I think you may have usurped me just there. Well, you deserve, you deserve it. So <laughs> thanks, <Katie. laughs> thanks to everybody out there too for joining. It's just so much fun to do this every week. I, I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, definitely is. All right. Well, everybody have a great week and then we'll see you on the airwaves next week. So thanks so much. Bye.